Well, obviously, Josh has learned my name better than I have so far. So <laughs> Delaying to come up here. Yep, so uh, since we're broadcasting out on, on Facebook Live or, or whatever you guys broadcast out to, just out of, out of an abundance of caution uh, from our team leaders in Moscow, Russia, we've been asked to go by our publicity name. So for right now, I'm Keith, and I'm here with my wife, Karen, and our son, Will. And after the service, once the cameras are turned off, we'd, we'd love to, to connect with you guys and, and share our real names, switch our name tags out. Some of you already know us. You know uh, my family probably. They've, they've been in this area doing ministry for, for a while. So, uh, and if you're out there on Facebook Live, please don't comment with our, our names or anything. But again, just out of an abundance of caution and respect for our team members and team leader in, in Moscow uh, so that we can make sure that they are protected as, as well as we can. <clears throat> but we're just so excited to be with you here this morning. Uh, I got to connect with Josh a few weeks ago, and, and he shared with me that you guys were setting a Lottie Moon goal that was bigger than you ever have before. And so I, I thank you for uh, taking the plunge there and, and uh, being faithful to partner with us and with the 3,600 other Southern Baptist missionaries that you are supporting with your prayers and with that giving, 100 pennies of every dollar that you give there goes to help international missionaries in the field. So thank you for your partnership. You know, there's a lot of people around the United States that, that faithfully give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering each year, and many of them don't even know any faces that they're giving to. And while I'm thankful for their faithfulness, that's, that's not how it should be. We should be partnering with them. We should know people that we are giving to, that we are sending on our behalf to go and proclaim the good news in order to fulfill the great commission that Josh just read, that we might go into all the world, that we might go to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the way that each of us does that is by praying for others that are going and giving to send them. Because no one of us, not even my wife and I, we cannot each individually go and make disciples of all nations. And so for anyone, for any believer, to fulfill that command, we have to partner with one another as we all go. And so I, I thank you that you've, uh, that you've brought us here and, and that you... And, and maybe we can be some of those faces that you see, along with some of the other ones that I know that your church uh, partners with as you give to this offering. You know, William Carey is commonly referred to as the first Baptist missionary, and he was among the first to go to the people of India. And when one of William Carey's friends compared India's spiritual darkness to that of a deep, dark mine and wondered, who will go into that darkness? William Carey famously responded, I will go down, but you must hold the rope. And for 175 years now, Southern Baptists have been holding that rope by praying and giving, by going and sending. And you know, mostly it's been from a lot of small town people from flyover places. But no matter how small a church, how far out of the way, God has been using thousands of faithful churches like this one here at Tunnel Hill to spread light into the darkest corners of the earth. 
And so the question for you this morning is, how can you hold that rope? And so if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be reading out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The book of Colossians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And he's writing back to this church in Colossae that he helped to plant years previous to remind them of who Jesus is, that he is God, that he has called them out of a life of sin and called them into new life. And perhaps a, a good summary verse for this letter is found in chapter 3, verse 23, just before the passage we're going to read. And it says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that it is from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And he goes on to give some brief instructions to husbands and wives and fathers and sons, masters and bondservants. And then he comes to the passage in verses 2 through 6, written to the local church there at Colossae and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the local church today. And this is what Paul writes. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, I, I desire myself and for my family to better fulfill the commands of the Great Commission to go to nations and also to make disciples in the place that you would have us. And I pray also for the brothers and sisters I have here at Tunnel Hill, God, that they would yearn to fulfill these commandments at well, as well, God. I pray that you would encourage them and, and exhort them to, uh, to pray for and to give and to seek to even send and go themselves, perhaps, Father, in order to bring your message to the ends of the world. So I pray that you would bless their efforts and their giving, that you would hear their prayers, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning as we look at your word and seek to apply it. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so as we look at this passage, we see two clear commands. The first one is here in verse 2, saying to continue steadfastly in prayer. We are to devote ourselves to pray for others as they are going into the world to bring the gospel. The church has a responsibility toward those who are going because you are here. You are here in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and unless God calls you to move, uh, you are going to be here. And so in order to make disciples of all nations, you partner with those who are going. And a big way that you can partner with them is in prayer. Constant, continual, steadfast prayer. Because prayer is not a last resort. It's not the last-ditch effort that you go to when all else has failed. Prayer is 
the battle plan that God has given us. God works in tandem with the prayers of believers to accomplish his will. You know, when we went to our orientation that all missionaries have to go through when they work with the IMB back in August and September, we got to hear many stories from missionaries coming back from the field of these great church planting uh, efforts that are, being, that, are, that are being done all over the world. And each one of them has a common denominator of just a blanket of prayer. Prayer from the missionaries there in the field, from the local church and the believers there in the country, but also from hundreds and in some cases even thousands of people back here in the United States who are keeping up with what God is doing there and praying specifically for the needs and for the movement of the gospel in those areas. God works in tandem with the prayers of believers. God is not dependent on our prayers. He works in tandem with them. And so, Paul asks the Colossians to pray with watchfulness. In other words, Colossians, Tunnel Hill, as you're living your lives, as you're engaging with your families and with your neighbors and your co-workers, are you watching to see where God is already moving? What doors is He opening? What hearts are being softened toward the gospel? And as you're watchful, you can pray in accordance with how you see God already moving. You can join in with Him in the work He's already doing. Because we have the promise in 1 John 5 that if we pray according to God's will, that He hears us. And knowing that He hears us, we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of Him. Be watchful and pray and join in the work that God is doing. And then Paul specifically tells the Colossians to pray for a door to be opened to him and his fellow workers for the gospel. Now, Paul is in prison, so he's literally asking them, pray that the prison doors be opened, that I may go out and declare the gospel of Christ. For other people, for ourselves, for several other missionaries that we know, we are waiting for a government door to open, a visa door to open. We are ready to go and only need Russia to give us the okay to get visas in order to go. Um, you know, in, in a couple weeks now, uh, a couple weeks my wife and I will celebrate our fourth wedding anniversary. So praise the Lord for that. And when we got married four years ago, we knew that God was calling us to pursue international missions. We didn't know where yet. We didn't know what the timeline would be. But we did know that he was calling us to pursue seminary. And so for two and a half years, I, we waited to go in order for me to get my MDiv requirements done at uh, Southern Seminary. And then as we started the IMB application process, we were kind of led to believe that we might be in our country as early as <laughs> last December. And we found out later that with the timeline, with appointment and orientation, that we would have to wait on that. And so we waited a couple months. We were appointed in January. We were told, you can go to the orientation in March. And so we got one week out from orientation. And then COVID, the great destroyer of plans, swept the nation and the world. And we found ourselves waiting again. We'd have to wait four more months until the next orientation would come. 
and we got to go to it. In August and September, we completed our seven-week training, and then usually within two weeks of your orientation being over, you are in your country to which you've been appointed. And yet for us and several others, the borders were not open, and so we were told you have to wait. And so we wait. We've kind of been waiting indefinitely. Hopefully, the waiting will be expedited by possibly some vaccines that are coming, but we don't know. We're going to have to wait for God's timing. We serve at his pleasure. And we know that God is sovereign over countries. We know that he's sovereign over viruses. We know that he's sovereign over all of our plans. And yet, he still calls us, he calls the church to pray for a door to be opened for the word. And so we, we ask you in your prayers for us, that you pray that God would open a door to us for the word. We'd love for you to maybe pick up one of our prayer cards, which I think uh, Brother Joe put on a back table back there. Uh, it has our, has our names on it, uh, where the region we're going to, and just a picture of our family. You can post it on your refrigerator or, or wall somewhere, and, and remember to pray for us and pray for other missionaries perhaps as well. There's also a link on there you can follow to sign up for a monthly newsletter if you'd like to do that with updated monthly prayer requests that we will put on there. It's one way that you can partner for the Great Commission. And then Paul also tells them to pray that the mystery of Christ be declared. Because once that door has been open, the instructions are to share the gospel. And when you're going into a new place, like we're going <laughs> into Moscow, a city of 16 million people, a city of the likes of which I've never lived in before. That's way more people than I've ever lived in, uh, lived with before. And there's going to be a lot of barriers to sharing the gospel at first. Because one, we don't know Russian. We've been starting Duolingo and we know some very basic Russian, but it's going to be difficult to share the gospel at first. And yet, we've been tasked by the International Mission Board and more importantly by the authority of Scripture to as soon as we have any language at all that we are sharing that mystery of Christ that Paul speaks of here. And since we're going to be talking like two and three-year-olds at first, it might very well sound like a mystery to many of the people that we are sharing with. But nonetheless, we know that it is the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin. And that's only by the hearing of the word. It only takes the hearing of the word for faith to be put in the hearts of the hearer. And that is our hope. Paul also asks that they pray that he is able to make clear the gospel, which is how he ought to speak. Because we might sound like two and three-year-olds there at first, but we don't want to stay there. We want to seek to try to make it as clear as possible. And so we, we ask that you pray for us, that we are... Uh, that, Lord willing, when we get in country, that you would pray that we're able to make the gospel clear. You know, before, uh, before I met my wife, the Lord called me to serve for three years in the country of El Salvador in Central America. And while I was there in El Salvador, I met this man named Nestor. And Nestor was born in El Salvador, but at a very, very young age, his parents took him uh, and his siblings out of the country into the United States, and they settled in California where he was raised. And at, a, at the age of nine or ten, Nestor began drug dealing. And later on, he'd find himself in a gang where he'd spend over a decade of his life. 
He found himself in a level four security prison in California. That it was there that God introduced him to his word through a scrap of scripture a fellow inmate passed to him. And it wasn't there that he received Christ, but eventually he would be deported back to his home country of El Salvador. Got off the plane, didn't have many friends or family, didn't even know the language very well. He's raised with English. But God called Nestor out of his sin and into the marvelous light. He put belief and faith in Nestor's heart and called him to minister to fellow deportees there in the capital city of San Salvador. And one time when he was preaching one of his first sermons to a Spanish-speaking congregation, he didn't make his message very as clear as he could have, let's say. Because he's, he learned English in the United States, and he was just now learning Spanish. And so he was preaching a sermon about being better servants of God. But when he used the word for servant, with, which is siervo, he instead used the word cerdo, which means pig. And so instead of being better servants of God, he was exhorting the congregation, you must be better pigs of the Lord. <laughs> he didn't make it as clear as he could have. And he probably wouldn't have even known his mistake if a disgruntled older lady hadn't come up to him at the end, very upset he'd been insulting her for the past half hour. And so we want to make the gospel clear. is how we ought to speak. But we need prayers. We need help in order to do that. The second command in this passage is to walk in wisdom among outsiders. You see, the, the church has a responsibility not only to partner with those who are going, but also to do the work God has for you in the station that he's called you to here and now. We are to walk in wisdom to fulfill the great commission here, which means in your home. Do you have an unbelieving husband or wife, an unbelieving child? Or perhaps your children aren't even old enough to make those decisions yet, but are you living your life in such a way where you are drawing them in to the life that Christ has called all of us to? Are you developing habits in your home that are making Christ look worthwhile and attractive and good? What about your interactions with your neighbors or with your extended family or your coworkers? Do they know that the gospel has first claim on your heart? Do they know your identity is in Christ? Do they know that you know, or at least believe you know, the message that will produce life in them here, but also eternal life for all eternity? Anytime we are walking among those who do not know Christ, we are to walk in wisdom, hoping that through our actions and our speech, we might point them to their Savior. And Paul says that the way we do that, firstly, is by making the best use of the time. In, order, in other words, not wasting our lives. When I first went to college, which was uh, about 12 years ago now, I went to the University of Louisville. And you know, there's just, there's something about leaving your home community that increases the temptation to do the things that you know the people back home would frown upon you doing. And I was no different. 
Within the first few weeks of getting to the University of Louisville, I joined a fraternity, and I did most of the things that people associate with such a membership. And man, when I look back at that time, I do think I was a believer. I do think I had put my faith in Christ at a younger age. But if you were to go back and observe me during those few years, you could have no reasonable assurance that I was living in Christ. And I know that God works evil for good. I know that I learned a lot of valuable lessons through that period of depravity. But when I look back at those few years, I can't characterize it as anything other than a wasted life for the kingdom of God. And I don't want to waste any more of the short life that God has given me and my family here. And I don't want any of you to waste the lives that God has given you in order to live for him and to make disciples for his kingdom. Paul says, in our relationships with others, we are to always be gracious in our speech. That we are to have our speech seasoned with salt. Because grace is the seasoning of the believer's speech. And when you think about salt, salt's used for a couple different things. Firstly, salt is used to make the food you put it on savory. When the believer speaks with grace, we make our conversations with others savory. We might completely disagree with others on certain things. They might see the creation of the world differently than we do. They might uh, not even know if Jesus existed or not. We might disagree on some very fundamental issues, and yet, if we speak with grace, in grace with others, those conversations will be savory to them, and we will be able to continue having those conversations. Salt is also used to preserve. It keeps the food you put it on from corrupting. When we speak with grace, we will prevent ourselves from corrupting the relationships we have with others. You know, we just had uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I know this was a, a little different kind of year for many of us. Some of you might have still gotten together uh, with, your, with your extended families, and some of you might have canceled those plans this year. I'm not here to tell you whether uh, you should have or shouldn't have. Uh, but usually, you know, we get together as big families on these, on, for these holidays. And if you think about it, it's a joyous time. It's, it's good to see these people, but sometimes it can also get a little stressful, you know. I just think about so much food having to be prepared and people working in the kitchen together that don't normally work together, doing things differently. You have all this food that you have to worry about the timing of how it gets out and different people are bringing different stuff. Uh, what if they don't bring enough of it? What if they don't bring it at all? Do I need a backup plan? It can be stressful. Or maybe you have that relative of yours that's very politically motivated and you know he's coming and you know you probably voted differently a few weeks ago. That can be a little stressful. Or those relatives of yours are bringing those kids of theirs and you know they're going to be running around obnoxiously and driving you crazy and there's nothing that you can do to discipline them. It can be stressful. And man, when those times come or even if it's just in your daily life, in these stressful times in your lives, I would encourage you to choose to speak with grace. Allow your speech to be seasoned with salt. Remembering, remembering 
that God has put up with so much from each one of us, and that he's forgiven us of more sins than we could begin to number or ever pay him back for, that he's given us, bestowed upon us grace that we could never begin to imagine or quantify. When those times come, do not neglect to extend a fraction of the grace to them that God has extended to you. And lastly, Paul exhorts the Colossians and us to be able to answer each person. I think what he's saying here is, is in similar uh, meaning to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, saying that we need to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Faith is the basis of our relationship with Christ, and we should be able to articulate that faith to anyone at any time. We should be able to come to a person who's experiencing the brokenness in their life and the brokenness of this world and be able to say to them, do you know, do you know why there's brokenness in your life? Do you know why there's brokenness in this world? It's because we have deviated from the original design that our Creator has made for us. Each one of us has sinned, done what God has told us not to do, and we've broken from that original design. We've made a separation between us and our God, and there's nothing that we can say. There's nothing we can do. There's not enough good that we can perform. There's no amount of money that we can give in order to restore that gap between us and our Creator. But God, in His grace and mercy, God has sent His own Son in the likeness of flesh as a man coming to be born as a baby, which we just got to celebrate this season, that he might grow up, live a perfect, sinless life, so that at the right time, when his arms were stretched out on that cross, he might be the perfect sacrifice, the full payment for the sin that we have committed. So that if we believe in him and repent from our sin, we might have the assurance that as Jesus raised from the dead on the third day, we will also be raised unto eternal life with Christ when he returns. And you know, you don't have to say it in those exact words, but in some way you need to be able to convey the faith that is within your heart. If you know enough to have responded to the gospel, you know enough to share it with someone else. And so when we come to the end of this passage, we see that there's really only two ways to respond. We can either respond in obedience, meaning we partner with those who are going to the ends of the earth while also making disciples here, or we can be disobedient. Perhaps we only pray for and give to those who are going other places to the neglect of what God is doing right here in our own lives. Or maybe we neglect those who are going and we only focus on local ministry. Or maybe like so many who claim to be believers might do nothing. You know, before I applied for the International Mission Board, I read this book called The Insanity of God. And its author was 
Nick Ripken, and he was actually, he's actually from Kentucky, and he was a former IMB missionary. And Nick Ripken, as he was writing this book, he went around the world collecting stories of the persecuted church. And one interview he conducted with, with, was with a man who was a pastor in Eastern Europe during Soviet rule. This pastor had been beaten, put into prison, separated from his family for long periods of time, even threatened by guards who wanted him to denounce his faith in Christ. But throughout all this persecution, this man never once denied his Lord. And he said something very compelling to Nick Ripkin. He said, I thank my God and I take great joy that I was able to suffer in prison so that you, Nick, could freely share Christ in Kentucky. And then he said this, Don't you ever give up in your freedom what we never would have given up in our persecution. And so Tunnel Hill partner with those who are going and remember your brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for the gospel. But do not neglect the work that is still to be done here. Do not give up in your freedom, which your brothers and sisters around the world would never give up in their persecution. Hold the rope for us and for the 3,600 other Southern Baptist missionaries that are going. But as you do so, joyfully and obediently complete the work that God has for you to do right here and right now. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this congregation of believers who are seeking to partner in obedience with those who are going, and I pray that they are also looking around here and, and seeking to make disciples here in their own families, and their own neighborhoods, their own workplaces. God, I pray that, that, you, would, that you would give them clarity in their presentation of your gospel, that you'd give them boldness to go and seek out those who need to hear about this wonderful message that you've given us. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to apply this word in our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.